0: Welcome to the Truth Lover video podcast presented by Love and Truth Party. I am Will Pye, author, speaker, transformational coach, workshop and retreat leader and founder of Love and Truth Party. You can find out more about me at WillPye.com. Love and Truth Party is a self-organizing, self-replicating community and movement of love and awakening. A wisdom school facilitating health healing and happiness find us and join our mailing list at loveandtruthparty.org we exist to empower the deep realization and integration of unitive consciousness of one human being and to inspire action in the world from this clarity as new earth ninjas our playful avatar we do so in the spirit of play holding the paradox that all is well, even and including all collective crises, while simultaneously being moved to act to lessen suffering and serve the creation of conscious culture and society. Our projects include distributing a million love letters from the universe, inviting people to receive the love and care in these, and within the happiness hacks and other free resources found on loveandtruthparty.org.
1: Hey, Will, how's it going?
0: Going wonderfully well, Carly, how are you?
1: Oh, I'm so good. I'm so happy to hear your voice. It's been a while. It's been a little while, yeah. So I just wanted to um, dive right in by telling our listeners about the first time I met you, if that's okay. Yeah, please. Um, I met Will in Australia in the mountains north of Melbourne back in 2011. I think it was 2011. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we were both at a Zendo on a silent retreat with our Zen master at the time, Junpo Roshi. And Junpo is a very, very interesting character. And he's been a huge influence in both of our lives. And I speak for myself when I say he gave me my experience of the divine masculine in such a profound and beautiful way. And I loved sitting with Junpo because it gave me the opportunity to sit with men, whereas most of my other practices have had me practicing yoga with women. But there were much more men drawn to Junpo, and it was really beautiful to meet the men that I've met through his um, practice. And Will Pai, who I've got on the line with me today, is someone who's been a a profound um, influence in my life in many ways. And the first time I met him, He was sitting right in front of me. It was a silent retreat, but we were learning how to facilitate a a certain process that helped us elicit a deeper level of thinking than we might normally have been aware of. And I had Will Pye as my partner, and he's sitting in front of me. And I had to ask him the question, who are you? And it's the kind of koan question that you ask in Zen that gets you to a place where you truly don't know who you are. And after us both getting to this place of not knowing, we also got to a place of talk beyond the silence and curiosity started to perk itself up. And I asked him, why was he here? And he said that he'd been diagnosed with a brain tumor two weeks earlier and that he was coming here to um, get really, really curious about what the brain tumor wanted. And I'd never heard it put quite like that before. If I'd been diagnosed with a brain tumor in 2011, I probably would have freaked out and thought, holy crap, I'm about to die. Will Pye might have had those thoughts and I'd love to dive into that. But the deepest um, message that I got from him was this cultivation of massive curiosity as to what it wanted and almost gratitude at the time um, for it waking him up and turning on a curiosity inside of him that he perhaps hadn't had turned on before. And Will, I remember your eyes, your blue eyes, just open and vulnerable and awake and aware and totally receptive to whatever this curiosity might bring to you. And I know since then, your journey has transformed your lives and I don't know how many lives, countless lives, innumerable lives since then with, with the stories that you've you've shared. And I'm so grateful to have you here today and to just dive in there going, please tell me (laughs) a little bit more about where you've come from since then and what's going on for you with this brain tumor and living life the way you're living it at the moment. I know that's so broad, but can we jump in?
0: (laughs) Yeah, broad is good. Thank you for such a beautiful and warm and nostalgic (laughs) introduction. Took me right back to that extraordinary retreat I remember that retreat culminating for me at least the culmination was that group hug when Junpo invited me into the middle of the room and we moved and swayed as one and there was an a cappella song and uh, yeah one of one of my sweetest memories and so beautiful to be here now in dialogue with you particularly in the context of that being our first meeting.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: And I like the framing, the, the curiosity. Certainly that was peaked in a, in a very profound and deep way. The diagnosis, there was fascination with what this was all about, with what what is the meaning of this. And I was aware through my prior studies around psychoneuroimmunology, the mind-body connection, the placebo, the nocebo effect, and so on, that the meaning that I gave, the self-diagnosis that I gave to that brain tumor diagnosis was important, that this was something um, causative, how I thought and felt about my brain and and, and this brain tumor. And so certainly there was actually, there was gratitude for this opportunity. Um, My experience of life is that there. Is just endless opportunities to grow and evolve, whether that be in suffering, in, in depression, in uh, financial failure or financial success. And with the tumor, there was a sense of the proportional opportunity in this. You know, everything I had experienced in life had been an opportunity to grow and evolve, including, let's say, you know, bumping your elbow or or stubbing your toe, you know, there's an opportunity in that to gain insight into the nature of mind, into the nature of body, noise, reaction, Mm -hmm. response. And so when the tumor diagnosis came in, I I was genuinely like, wow, (laughs) Mm -hmm. this is a big opportunity, you know, a life and death opportunity. Yeah. And it's been quite the ride since then the meaning that i ended up giving it which and I, I use those words a little hesitantly because it feels like this is what the, this is what emerged from the tumor itself or from the situation itself was that it was a gift from my soul from spirit that facilitated a deepened understanding and insight into healing transformation and awakening such that they could serve others in their healing transformation and awakening. Mm. And that's kind of how it has been um, for the last eight years, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So many things are coming up for me as you're speaking because it's that, that deep curiosity and fascination is, I mean, I still see your eyes so clear like there's only a handful of eyes that I can really see as clearly and vividly as what I see. And it was like your eyes gave me an opportunity to look deep into fascination in the face of potential death and life and awakening and rebirthing. And Mm. the whole cycle of everything was in those eyeballs.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. My eyeballs are that cool. (laughs)
1: They were so cool. (laughs) So, so yeah, they're imprinted. I mean, I could go into a couple of other stories about different eyeballs and what I've seen in them, but that's what I've seen in yours. And, and so, yeah. you know, over the years since then, you've, you've written a couple of books. And the first one was so beautifully titled, Blessed with a Brain Tumor. And I'd love you to speak just, I want to really get into um, the... The book you've most recently written, which is gratitude and it's a power as a, a treatment. Um sorry, no what, what was it called? The gratitude prescription. And yes. it's about harnessing the power of thankfulness for healing and um happiness. Mm-hmm. And so I really want to get into talking about that, but just in whatever time frame you want, can you just go into what it was like for you to be writing a book called Blessed with a brain tumor and about yeah. realizing all of its gifts and learning to receive that gift.
0: Yeah, for sure. And that title actually came to me pretty soon after the diagnosis. I was in a hospital bed somewhere. I think it was actually uh, in Canberra, you know, like really soon afterwards, in the, in the immediate hours afterwards. So I was like, oh, great. Um, I can write a book about this. And
1: uh... <laughs> Finally, I've got my title. Yeah, right. <laughs> so great.
0: And, and blessed people. Yeah, you know, I'm not, a religious person, I say that I'm a Zen Buddhist, I'm a, I'm a Sufi, and I'm a Christian, technically speaking, in each sense. Mm-hmm. So I'm a deeply religious person in the Einsteinian sense of uh, the mystery and, and, and the awe. And yet, the terms that I used, soul and spirit, for example, in the meaning of the tumor, I, those terms didn't really have any meaning for me mm. uh, at the time. I was a good Zen Buddhist. I didn't have any metaphysical concepts such as soul or spirit, but that was the title that came blessed with a brain shim. I liked the alliteration and it spoke to the very real truth of my experience, which was that I perceived it immediately as a gift, as a blessing. And there was a great deal of joy and delight around the experience and an awareness of course, that's not a common reaction or a common response to such a situation. Um, And so I felt both inspired to, to share that joy, essentially, and to share some of the attitudes and lenses and perspectives that led to that experience being as it was, which was without suffering and with a great deal of gratitude and and, and growth opportunity.
1: Mm. And were you typically like this, like as a child growing up, did you find ways to feel grateful as a child for things that other kids might have been more likely to get a bit snarky about or, you know, or was it something you cultivated throughout your practice consciously?
0: I, I think there's a bit of both. So in my childhood, I was blessed with beautiful loving parents a beautiful home and lots of time out in nature, lots of play, lots of sports. Uh, So I think I had a lot to be grateful for. My teenage years, I recall having self-pity and and, um, uh, there was a sort of epiphany in my late teens when I realized just how, relative to other beings upon the planet, just how profoundly good I had it, just how much advantage I had just how much gifts I had been given. And from then, there was a willingness to cultivate the gratitude. And indeed, I went through a a very deep and dark suicidal depression in my early 20s. And gratitude became my practice, my daily morning and evening practice to retrain my mind to be focusing on the abundance, to be focusing on the good, to be focusing upon what I do have. And that was, so I I think I I would say that I've been fortunate, very fortunate in my life to be inclined towards an optimism. Mm. Also, it's been a training and a practice that I've utilized as well.
1: Beautiful. Yeah, I can really appreciate that. There's times when can think of it like I, I had a similar upbringing and I was very blessed. I didn't really want for anything and I had a lot of time in nature and outside as well. And, um, my parents were very loving, although they did seem to fight with each other a lot, which did mm. make things a little conflictual in my life. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there was so much to be grateful for all the time. And so there was sometimes this push pull feeling and it sort of means in some ways, I've had to be more, I feel for me, conscientiously focusing on being grateful because I, as opposed to having the tendency to be more optimistic, I can have the tendency to be more naturally pessimistic. So my practice has been really good to pick me up and go, wait a minute, there's nothing, you know, you've really got first world problems, sister. <laughs> you know, you're, and, and to really conscientiously turn it around so I can see things more optimistically, constructively and positively. But at the same time, I've been very aware of the times when I can do that. And then I'm bypassing what's actually going on and it's not real. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I've worked a lot with this in my life in different ways, but I'm curious how you would, um, guide people or maybe yourself to focus on the more, um, on not bypassing while at the same time experiencing the gratitude that's available. Does that question make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, my uh, Eden was was destroyed by my parents' divorce at about mm. 11 to 13. It was a pretty bitter, protracted, uh, horrific affair for all involved. And that was really the beginning of discovering the deeper meaning and the opportunity in, in pain and suffering and challenge because whilst it was the last thing that I wanted, and I resisted it and um, was a typically ignorant and clueless and opinionated uh, 12, 13, 14-year-old with a lot of rage and a lot of anger around what had happened, there was also an aspect of my awareness that recognized this was a profound gift, that it was causing me to Reject everything that I had learned mm. and reject. I mean, that's a natural process, right? When we individuate at uh, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14. And that process was really turbocharged. And I rather grandiosely perceived myself to be akin to Descartes, who <laughs> spoke <laughs> of, uh, as he formed his philosophy, taking all the existing ideas, rather like an apple basket, and taking them all out of the basket and only putting the ideas back in that uh, were were good apples that weren't rotten and I went through something of that process with all the hand-me-down beliefs and narratives from my culture uh, whether it be Christianity or atheistic materialism Um, and that was really insightful I was kind of like at the time it intrigued me and looking back I was like where did that insight or that wisdom come from that this bad thing was actually a good thing for my life journey and, and, and for my Development, and so I guess that's one way that I would avoid bypassing it, is in my own testimony, in my own example of of how I've lived. Is that yes, there was uh, painful divorce. Yes, there was um, uh, addiction issues in my early twenties though I didn't call them addictions because that's something you can't stop, and I was sure I was going to stop them. Mm-hmm. Um, suicidal depression and, and and brain cancer and so on, and all of those things have been opportunities for me and specifically where I would point to the non bypassing capacity or or utility of gratitude is when we apply that to our pains you know to our despair to our the heaviness in our heart to our depressions to our shame whatever it might be to actually lean in to those experiences not to bypass but to feel more fully, to feel more deeply and to really embrace the darkness, to embrace the pain in a way that's alchemical, that's transformative um, through that embrace.
1: And I mean, I love this and this is a practice I love feeling into because I know on the other side of this is is the freedom that you haven't got until you do lean into it. How do you suggest for people to actually do that? Because when you, when it's a practice that you're not used to, it seems really scary. And like, why would you go there? So how would you suggest for someone that's not used to going there to go there?
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, why would we go there? Um, Suffering is usually a pretty good motivation, right? If there's a strong dissatisfaction with life or how we're experiencing life. Um, I would always encourage people and I've been fortunate to lead workshops and and retreats. And we tend to go on a bit of a journey there, which is to start with, and this is indeed the journey within the gratitude prescription, to start with practicing on the easy stuff, the good stuff, to to create a gratitude practice, a journaling practice, much as you might a meditation practice to Mm. allow your mental body to be exercised in focusing on the goodness in chocolate brownies in rainbows in friends in family in our pets in you know the odor of flowers in the sunshine in just this breath just Mm -hmm. this fact that we're alive and and then to uh, evolve that practice as necessary you know so when life uh, presents us with challenge with difficulty or, or our trauma surfaces, or uh, whatever it might be, to then see if it's possible to, uh, with this now cultivated practice, with that frequency, if you like, of gratitude, accessible, to apply it to the the big stuff, the, the, the painful stuff, the, the challenge. And I've got you know, questions that I would actually encourage people to consider. Um, what's the gift in this? Mm-hmm. Or what's the opportunity here? And if it's a really, you know, for the bigger calamities and disasters, if I had somehow created this, for what purpose? And what is the profound truth or growth opportunity in in this creation? Yeah.
1: Beautiful. I love that. And I love that you also suggested to start with the easy stuff first or the, the more accessible stuff because it's the same, isn't it, at the end of the day? Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like any practice, right? Like you know, Both of us have been on journeys of evolution and, and growth and whether it be with our yoga or with exercise or we're playing the violin or we're becoming a mother for the first <laughs> time. Mm-hmm. there's a process of learning and growth and getting better at through our stumbling and through our errors and through our inability, we discover the ability.
1: And this is right. And <clears throat> I mean, this has been quite a hot topic and with my clients recently is, you know, I'm, I'm so willing and available and yet it's not happening yet. And maybe I'm not meant to be doing this and why isn't it happening now? Whatever it might be. And the, the answer that keeps coming up is because all of these things that aren't happening are preparing you for when whatever it is does happen. Mm-hmm. And it's just, so it's not that it's not happening. It's just that it's in the process of happening and you just have to keep stumbling through a few things in order to learn how to cope with it when it does arrive, rise into your life. And for me, that would be, um, my journey, like, you know, pieces of uh, through the through the infertility route and, mm-hmm and And feeling into what it would be like to not have be a mother and not not give birth and not be pregnant and not breastfeed and not share my DNA in the world and and what would be the gift in that and I found so many gifts in not sharing my DNA I mean, look at the population of the planet right now, so i, I could I could finally I eventually settled into that, and I even found gratitude for my body for holding me back from. Contributing to a population problem, or uh, for holding me back from having to decide about vaccinating my child—I'd never have to get involved so personally in that conversation. There were so many boons I could find in not having a child, and then all of a sudden, I'm pregnant, and miraculously so. And of course, immediately there's gratitude for that, and it—it it just surprises me so deeply how gratitude can be applied to the very things we do want and the very things we don't want.
0: Yeah. I love that description of what I hear is the surrendering the outcome and letting go of attachment to the outcome. And it and it sounds very much in that narrative that that was part of creating the space, part of allowing the peace in, in the body mind Mm -hmm. such that, uh, your beautiful, Child was able to, you know, if perhaps looking down from the stars, who who, who knows? Depending upon our metaphysics. Mm-hmm. Okay, she's ready now. <laughs>
1: yeah, finally that woman got her shit together <laughs> enough to, to let go, enough to to relax enough so that I can actually come in. Yeah,
2: right.
1: And and then the gratitude that comes when you go after considering this body is infertile, barren, inept, all the things that a woman's supposed to be able to do—and this body couldn't apparently do it. And all of a sudden this body has morphed itself into a stargate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, wow, that's (laughs) fascinating. That's absolutely incredible. And something from nothing comes and that something is so radiant and full of light and joy and natural, natural gratitude. Like Mm. yesterday he turned two and he got his first yes I know I'm I kept him alive for two whole years <laughs> but his his natural gratitude in um receiving presents like he's never really received presents as such before we haven't really done Christmases um that he's really you know he's a, he's only two so he got his first presents, and just watching his eyes just expand like for me and mm. i get to open this and it was natural astonishment wonder joy fascination like what's inside and and the pure bliss and joy at looking at the ducks on the paper that wrapped mm-hmm. it up and these sorts of things and i'm really looking at it going wow imagine if we could pl- apply this kind of fascination and astonishment to everything you know and then later being able to just let it go and walk along in the woods and and be distracted by a flower and wanting to pick it and and look at the beauty of it and that that was ever much as joyous as the monster truck that he got.
0: Yeah. Right. And the good news is we can, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're both familiar with, uh, Ken Wilbur. And he talks about the mm-hmm. pre, uh, trans fallacy that the, right. uh, the innocence of the child or the joy of the child is, is, is different to the innocence or the joy of, we could say awakened mind or awake consciousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and clearly it is, right? Because I know that this consciousness has been through the lack of wonder and the lack of awe and the self-pity and the uh, fear and uh, depression and and so on. And those little descriptions that you give, that is largely how I experience reality, going on a walk and being like a child, you know, mm-hmm. looking at the, the leaves, looking at these flowers that we've really probably never actually looked at. Like the mind says, oh, that's a, an X or a Y, and we think that that word is somehow representative of that flower or that tree or that leaf. But to really get up close and discover that marvel or mm-hmm. wonder are uh, vibrations, experiences, available to us uh, yeah every, every day if we if we choose to open to that
1: right and and yet we can do it with the fullness of all of us that's experienced such despair and pain and suffering as well and yes. and, and, and yeah i love that you've reminded me about the pre-trans fallacy because we can get very caught up in looking at children and the innocence of them and forget that we have that same innocence within us, and it is, in a way, fuller because of the pain and suffering that that that, that the, the time of life, you know, the the day, the passing of life, has imbibed and imbued throughout the system of the body mind.
0: For sure, I think mm. there's a certain heroism and indeed revolutionary mm. evolutionary function in. Seeing the world as it is in all its uh, insanity and, mm-hmm. and utterly unnecessary suffering and falsehood and hatred and death and disease and all the rest, and to love it. Yeah. To uh, you know, let it break our hearts open and to appreciate it all, um, in- including the darkness the difficulty the the challenge of 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 being a human collectively and personally
1: oh yes because the yeah what i'm hearing you talking about now is that that ability to look at the the uh, let's just call it wars that are raging a, across the planet in different ways into different extremes Um, In the same way that you've looked at your brain tumor with utter fascination and curiosity, like, wow, what is the gift here? What are we, what are we seeking to learn here? Or what is the opportunity here? And I, I find myself feeling very mixed in the heart as I say that out loud, because it's like fucking wrong. And at the same time, without it, would, would we develop the compassion that we're developing?
0: Mm -hmm. And, yeah, that uh, and another grandiose moment arose in my experience when a, a similar comparison was made with the opportunity and function of the brain tumor and the potential opportunity and function of our collective, collectively facing the possibility of destroying ourselves as a species mm-hmm. through making our beautiful planet Earth uninhabitable for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and No mistake about it, one of the gifts of the brain tumor, of course, is that it had the potential, uh, still does within the conventional view, to end my life Mm -hmm. and to do so in a way that wouldn't be a great deal of fun. And I'm open to that possibility. I I have to be.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And in the same way, collectively, we have to face the facts. We have to look at just how wrong, just how dysfunctional our way of being and our way of living is. And the hope and the dream and the desire is that collectively from that open-hearted facing of our challenge, something new can emerge and and evolve, a higher order of function, a higher way of being as humans. I mean, it, it, it has to, right? And of course, Let's not um, pretend otherwise it is happening already. You know, there are communities that are living sustainably. There are communities that are living in harmony. There are regenerative uh, systems of justice, of economics, of, um, you know, they're not on the news. (laughs) They're not the mainstream, but they absolutely are present in, in the world.
1: Yeah. No, Exactly. Um, oh my goodness there's so many places I want to go with everything you've just said <laughs> one, one of the um I want to come back to sustainable communities and more about that if it yeah but one of the things that came up if I could be so bold to go here with you will <laughs> is what I just heard you saying without maybe using the words to say it is how I heard it was that your body is the microcosm of the planet that is the macrocosm and in the same way that your brain could suddenly, this brain tumor could erupt your brain. The, the, the planet could have a catastrophic eruption and end the life of humanity in the same way that this, this, this brain tumor that you live with could end your life. And yeah. that, that's a very real reality that you live in personally, but that we as humanity live in collectively.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the great teachings of um, Hermestes. I, uh, I forget the, the, the full name, but as above, mm-hmm. so below.
2: Mm-hmm. And, as within, uh, so without.
0: Right. So there's deep truth in that. And our individual transformation is a direct contribution to the collective transformation, whether that be, you know, my uh, recycling or or not buying quinoa because of the effect it has on the Ecuadorian villages or uh, dealing with my inherited traumas and pains, uh, integrating those into peace and and love in in this body. We know whether we look to the Buddha's pointing that not I awoke but the whole of humanity awoke Mm
2: -hmm.
0: to the modern science of uh, perhaps popularized and and wonderfully represented by the Global Coherence Initiative and and the Institute of HeartMath, that we are in communication with one field of consciousness, with one field of electromagnetism, and any moment where we uh, shift into gratitude or shift from fear into love, Mm. that is a vote that is counted in the collective field. That is a vote that immediately ripples out into the oneness that is the actual truth of our human experience.
1: And that shift into love is um, stepped into through a shift into gratitude. Is that what you'd say?
0: Yeah. For me personally, gratitude is a a way that I open to receiving the love that is present. It's Mm. been a big um, part of my healing journey. I really identified that. 's been key for me to actually receive love, to receive love of my family, to receive love from lovers from, from friends, and within the, the love within my own consciousness to really receive this and i 've been given opportunities to practice that in some fairly challenging contexts, such as with grand mal seizures
2: mm-hmm. where
0: The precursor phenomena arises. I know the tingling in the left hand, the aura, the altered state of consciousness means I am about to have a grand mal seizure and fear arises in the body
2: mm-hmm. and
0: curiosity arises in the mind. Like, What's that fear about? Oh, I'm scared that I'm about to have a seizure or going to die. Mm-hmm. Right. Can I surrender to those two outcomes? Yes. And simultaneous to that surrender, a focused breathing into the center of my nervous system, into my heart. And what I've discovered is that that has ended seizures as an experience for me. Who knows, they may start again one day, but that has resolved Mm. that issue such that I do not take the poisonous medications that doctors insisted I would need to be on for the rest of my life, but rather have used surrender and breath to bring my nervous system back to balance and and avoid having seizures. Funnily enough, another way that I would manage those intense experiences, and they do still sometimes arise, is to connect my body with Mother Earth, to connect my physical Mm. body with the grass, with the Earth that we know is operating at an electromagnetic frequency that is the ultimate optimum frequency of my own nervous system.
2: Mm.
0: So Mother Earth is loving us, right? She's loving yeah. us with the oxygen she's providing with the, the sun, of course, is also loving us with the light she's providing. And the energy that Mother Earth is giving off in every the, – the, the energy that she is. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the ultimate mother, and you're talking about surrendering mm. into the arms of the ultimate mother for your healing.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, and I back to the personal, you know, my, my kid comes up to me and gives me his foot, go, mommy, kiss it better. Owie. I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. And I just give him a kiss and tell him how much of a quick and wonderful healer he is. And he looks at me with a big smile and off he goes. And yeah. And I, but I hear you doing the same thing with mother earth.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And with my physical mother as well, you know, with my Mm -hmm. parents, one, one of the, you know, the first gift of the tumor experience was a, a, a necessary and uh, profound healing with my, with my family. You know, I sat them all down and I said very clearly that whatever's happened in the past, it's all been for the good. Um, it's all been a key part of my journey. And it's very important to me that no one feel any regret or guilt or anything of this nature. It's all been fucking perfect. Yeah. And I'm in deepest love with you all. and um, our relationships now are better than they've ever been. So mm. I, I continue to utilize gratitude as that means to open to the love that is present, whether it be directly, like I am grateful for this love that I am now receiving, or I'm grateful for this breath that is breathing me. Yeah. You know, or I'm grateful for this being that is being. You know. <laughs> it, mm. it, 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 it's all, it's all a gift.
1: Yeah. You no, know, the um, other most prominent teacher I have in my life currently to this day is Sally Kempton. Mm. And she's been a very, you know, she's tantric in her teaching with um, kashmir Shaivism. And the, um, she always refers to the breath as the one that is doing the work of, of living the body. Mm. And I hear you speaking that language to me as well. That like the gratitude for the breath that is breathing me, and I wonder how you hear the the, or see or perceive or experience the the breath that is breathing you, when there's the idea of a grand mal seizure.
0: Well, very simply, to receive it more fully and more deeply, in that moment, and a lot of the practices that I've engaged in over my life, whether yoga or chigum or indeed, transformational breath work or holotropic breath work mm. has been about cultivating a deepened intimacy in relationship, you know, zazen of course also mm-hmm. with the breath, and I know that in those moments and uh, you know, our our dear dear friend and, and teacher Junpo has uh, said that you know we, we meditate in order to be useful when shit happens. And when life life falls apart, we can be useful and be in response rather than reaction. And whether it be the conscious craniotomy, perhaps especially, well, the conscious craniotomy and also those grandmales or grandmales that were avoided, Mm. that has been an opportunity to bring into practice, to put into use all of that cultivation and and capacities that, that have been trained. And so, in that precise moment of fear arising in the body, it's a breath through the nose and a breath into the heart, Mm. a breath into the heart, and and or down through the feet into the earth. You know, a a grounding, a grounding breath, and it's a perfect representation for for my mind of the power of gratitude, because this thing, breathing, is happening the whole time, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: And and yet the vast majority of the breaths that we take or are given just happen without awareness of them. And the great, one of the great games we get to play as humans, I feel, is to play with that breath, to, to receive it more fully. Yeah. Recognizing it to be the breath of spirit, the breath of life itself, and to you know, we, we know even just from a scientific, you know, classical physics perspective or biology, it shifts the nervous system, it shifts how we operate to take a deep breath. And we even have the Iceman Wim Hof becoming right. Well-known around the world, and some of the profound effects upon the physiological capacity and the immune response of the human body that is facilitated by a deep breath practice.
1: Yeah, well, it's getting more oxygen into the cells, isn't it? And when the cells are more properly oxygenated, their capacity of function more fully and properly is enhanced. So right. It's kind of a no-brainer that that's what we want to do. Yet I look at so many people that breathe just into their chest. And yeah, if I watch my child breathe, it's a whole body breath. And so oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So somewhere along the way, we forget how to be breathed properly. And our, our nervous system and that animal reptilian old-fashioned mind, the original brain, clicks into its autonomic nervous system, putting us into the fight and flight responses. And the breath gets more and more shallow in the body and more and more constricted. And the whole body stops breathing yeah, I would watch my baby breathe, especially when he was just curled up into child's pose as a, as a newborn, the whole body would just expand and contract, expand Mm. and contract, like a jellyfish, you know, floating through the ocean. Mm. And, and I look at other humans now, adult humans. And, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it's, it's, it's not the whole body. It's so constricted and, and that's just life happening, isn't it? But it's not being like Junpo has also taught us each and of in very different and full ways to, to be at our breath and to be with our practice and to be aware of the, the shit that is arising in life. And like you said, to, use this meditation as a way to be useful no matter what is going on. We can still be useful. We can still cultivate gratitude and loving and kindness and we can still breathe properly. So we can still oxygenate ourselves and do all of this. Right.
0: Right. <laughs> and in terms of regenerative communities and, uh, an intelligent response to our collective challenges, it feels to me, for example, with this wonderful movement, extinction rebellion, that's very, powerful here in the UK. And for me, what would make it an additional dimension of power would be if it actually really tapped into the spiritual truth of the human being, Mm. same way that Gandhi did in the same way that Luther King did in the same way that Tolstoy did the same way that Nelson Mandela did, um, to really harness that that peace. So they've they've got the nonviolent um, nonviolent protest, the nonviolent aspect key. But I feel there's an extra dimension that can be brought into that, which is a recognition of the unity of the human being yeah. and the essential peace that is our true nature.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the one breath that we do truly take.
0: And, yeah.
1: Yeah. Like you witness that one breath and that that unity when i'm facilitating a yoga class for example and i held a class this week that had you know 70 people in it and and i had them all take a deep breath and a deep exhale and this wave was happening in in this group of people
2: mm-hmm. and,
1: and it's it's a beautiful thing to watch and straight away i went to what you know i think you're talking to now is is that that unity of when we're working inside of ourselves to Transform whatever it might be on a personal level to then be being the change that we want to see in the world, and seeing it reflected in the people that are then around us and working on similar stuff. Because we've all got our stuff, Mm -hmm. and the unity of that that one breath. Can you speak more to that movement that you just raised? Because I'm not sure I've heard of it here in America yet. Um, Something in extinction, did you say? Okay, well, are you there? I am indeed. I guess I dropped off, so I hope my recording is still recording.
0: It it's still like- recording. The light's flashing, so I think yeah. we're good.
1: We're good. All right. Well, that was interesting. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was wanting to ask more about the movement um, that you said, and I couldn't remember what it was called. And I said it, the word extinction, and bam, we were gone.
0: <laughs> yeah kind of appropriate right a nice little uh, humorous <laughs> timing there
1: cosmic jokers on us
0: <laughs> uh-huh and i and i actually wanted uh so this is helpful for me because to, speaking of breath and unity there's a really nice beautiful profound meditation that i'd like just to share very quickly mm. with our listeners Please. which is called unity breath and it's very simple we, we sit in our meditation practice in Zazen or Vipassana or whatever, or if we don't have a practice, we just sit down and become aware of our breath. And probably with eyes shut, whatever works for the individual, we can then invite people into our circle to join in the breath. Now, it might be our grandparents or our parents if they've passed, or perhaps some of those figures that I mentioned earlier, a, a teacher. It uh, could be people that are alive. It might be that I invite Jesus to sit on one side of me and the Buddha on another and uh, Mirabai and uh, others to to join in the circle and to become aware that there is a unity of breath, to perhaps look around and see the inhalations and the exhalations and feel the synchrony and the unity. Well. Hi, Carly. You just dropped out again. So I, I I just did a little Unity breath meditation for a few seconds, and it's still recording. So um, (laughs) I I don't know how that's going to work in the edit. Or you may find that it actually just flows not too problematically. So you're only gone for for the briefest moment.
1: (laughs) Well, I was all dropped in with Jesus and Mirabai and. (laughs) And I I also had Kali, Sarasati and and Shiva. I was just like, wow, this is potent. And all of a sudden it was quiet. And I was like, (laughs) ah.
0: Dropped into the deepest stillness or maybe the internet's dropped out or maybe both.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. But it's just so curious when these things happen that the unity is still there because I can still feel you. It didn't feel like you'd gone. Right. And... Yeah. I don't make too many metaphors, but yeah, it's all just perfect. Well, thank you for sharing that meditation. I'll look forward to listening to it in the replay. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, did you want to add more to that or could we segue more on to, um, I wanted to talk more about your book in the time that we've got left and the gratitude prescription. Am I still playing? Can you hear me?
0: I can hear you. Okay, Yeah, great. let's talk about the gratitude prescription. Yeah,
1: so. I guess because um, he set it up into to four different parts. And what the first part is gratitude's many powers. And the second is becoming grateful for your entire life. And then he goes on to how gratitude transforms suffering and struggle. And then part four is how gratitude reveals truths of existence. And I always want to jump to something like that, <laughs> but I'm, <laughs> but I'm wondering what is most um, hot in your heart at the moment. Which which part of the book, if you could choose one?
0: That's a tough question. I mean, right. I, I'm probably inclined similarly to yourself to want to dive into the the the, the most profound and the most juicy, okay. and certainly that. Yeah, great. And that last section, I've actually got a copy in my hand. It's funny, I obviously wrote the book and yet I haven't read it yet. So I did that with my first book after a sufficient period of time had passed. I read it as a reader and was happy to discover that I really enjoyed it and thought it was quite a good book. Mm. Um, I haven't done that yet with the gratitude prescription, but part four is for me really dropping into the depths of gratitude. Um, A friend of mine, a a beautiful soul, Austin Hill Shaw, referenced how for him he'd kind of thought of gratitude as like yeah it's a nice positive psychology thing but maybe not capable of doing the heavy lifting as he put it when it comes to a life of embodiment and evolution but he was happy to discover through the book that in fact it's got these dimensions these aspects that are really profound and that's what I was trying to point to and convey in that last section with uh, how gratitude does reveal truths of existence. And we've touched on one of them, I believe, which is that love is present. Mm. That love is actually an aspect of our own consciousness. Mm. And that we can invite awareness of that. We can drop into the truth of that, uh, the reality of our being a loving presence.
1: I love how you're also putting love and truth all in the same sentence. Mm -hmm. I used to think that love was all you need, but as I've matured, I realized that truth is the most important thing supported by love. And Mm -hmm. when we're in love but not honoring truth, then we might be in fantasy instead kind of thing Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and to have gratitude for the truth, no matter what it is, even when it's a brain tumor or something that we don't, a divorce or something we truly don't want to accept to have that, the gratitude for the, the truth of the fact and have that truth supported by the love you're talking about just in me brings up so much revelation that brings deep relief, even when the truth is messy and ugly.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, love and truth are my guiding lights, watchwords, and I have a a community and a movement called Love and Truth Party. Mm -hmm. And Viewers, listeners rather may like to check that out, loveandtruthparty.org, where they can access love letters from the universe. My friends and I, we have a lot of fun (laughs) handing out love letters from the universe that point people to the truth that they are loved and in, inherently worthy. Um, yeah.
1: Do you spell it love and a n d truth?
0: In the URL, it is spelled a n d. We use an ampersand in text, but in the URL, it's love and truth party. Dot party.
1: Yeah. Um, no, I love that, and I've been watching that kind of evolve because you've been doing it for quite a few years now. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, we've been playing for a while.
1: Yeah. Um, all right, sorry. I'm kind of getting excited about going all over the place in our last sort of 20, 15, 20 minutes. (laughs) Um, but okay. Gratitude reveals truths of existence and the number one truth being that love is an aspect of our own consciousness. Mm -hmm. What, what else would you, I mean, one of the chapter 11 is unit of being one undivided reality. We've touched on this a little bit too. Um, but it feeds into your all-inclusive efforts uplifting the world. So I'd love to sort of hear your take on how that unit of being does lead to that all-inclusive uplifting of the world.
0: Yeah, for sure. So in my experience and understanding the reality of the human experience is, is being and there is the arising of thought or an ungrateful ego or identity that gives the experience or the perception along with physical separateness of separation. Mm. But in fact, and in uh, direct experience, we can come to see that in fact, there's there's just a profound emptiness, there's just a profound being. Mm. And being is being will pie, being is being, Kali being is being. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And of course, the great delight in retreats and sacred community and partnership and connection, we have that experience. We look into the eyes of another and we realize, (laughs) we real eyes, that that we're one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love it how no Jim Poe would always look at you with his eyes and his granddaddy eyebrows would <laughs> perk up and you'd see those little wiry bits but you'd know that we were breathing the same breath
0: oh that's a great memory yeah thanks for prompting <laughs> that recall <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah uh, his, his eyes are another set I'll never forget especially when he was giving me Colly as the name going you are collie. you mm-hmm. are Colly." and um yeah but and it is in that and we're back to the breath aren't we where and back to the eyes and back to seeing through the eyes of the one same united united soul of this mm-hmm. undivided reality. And um, to me, when I'm just sort of feeling into my own body right now, it's it's feeling so incredibly warm and connected to so many that I'm feeling so much right now. I'm feeling from the 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 hazards that is happening on our our borders between here and Mexico right now and um, all the borders that seek to divide humanity up on, across the planet and the things that are happening and I feel that as an a deep empath <laughs> I feel that pain so mm-hmm. in my body um, and in my eyes and in my heart and in my head and just if I divided myself up into my different parts I every, every part even my little toenails feel pain and yet I also feel such heart and in Zen we talk about emptiness and that emptiness is empty of the of the crap but it's so full of all the love and I don't really know where I'm going here but as you're speaking I just I want to I guess I just wanted to share how how full I'm feeling and it, but it's not that it's not a crappy full <laughs> do you know what I mean
0: I do very much know what you mean and can locate that in my own experience. And when I see it's a one way that we can very directly experience that unity and oneness is precisely in those moments where we see that child in that cage, Mm -hmm. or we see that uh, security guard, or, you know, who's, who's having to carry out those grotesque, immoral, illegal acts. And we can, our heart breaks my heart breaks there are there are tears of sadness or despair or fear as there may in another scenario be tears of joy when i see another's joy when i see another's awakening and for me the fullness of the awakening journey for the human incarnate is i speak about it sometimes about being um, being a buddha christ so on the one hand we allow through our practice the basic insight of emptiness the emptiness of self the emptiness of all phenomena to be directly realized it's an unfortunate word in english but that's the translation it's also my dharma name uh, ku is uh, shunyata is emptiness it's uh, mm-hmm. quite quite the quite quite the name that junpo uh, bestowed upon me mm-hmm. and we also can come to realize the the fullness.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: These these two apparently contradictory notions, the emptiness of self, the emptiness of being, and the the fullness of being, the fullness of the Christ heart. Yeah. The fullness of the revelation of our unity with all beings, with all life. Uh, mm. And for, for for me this is what I feel life is calling forth from human beings for as many as possible to awaken to being Buddha Christs, to acting in the world as uh, my, my friends and I, we have this playful avatar, the new earth ninja.
1: Mm, I love it.
0: And to, to, to be engaging in the world from this, from this space and place and holding the paradox that all is well in in spite of it being absolutely falling apart and, um, catastrophic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is the paradox that we, that we live in, in this twenty first century where we don't know what's going to happen to humanity in the next decade, little in the next century. Right. And I, um, wonder, do you, can you speak more to, I mean, I'd love to hear more about the the new earth ninja and does the new earth ninja have a, a vision for the future or a pre a, a perception of it, or is he, he, she right here now and that's
0: it. Yes. And no, of course, is the appropriate mm-hmm. answer. I, I would, um, one, one of the principles that, a, a new earth ninja would seek to realize and embody is the creatorship the creative capacity of each individual consciousness and of course collectively we we have created the circumstance we experience upon the planet right now through fundamental myths and and delusions and falsehoods such as separation that we're separate from each other that we're separate from our source that we're separate from the creator or god if you Mm -hmm. the lies falsehoods myths of materialism both ontological as is taught by zealous scientists within scientism despite it being a disproven belief system Mm -hmm. and of course ethical materialism where uh, we have again just had this ridiculous grotesque notion that happiness exists in status Mm -hmm. or in material possessions And uh, we know that's absolutely not true. Mm -mm. The the studies are very clear that, you know, up until a certain, so there's a certain level of income that we each do individually need to gain a certain level of comfort. But beyond that, more money does not make you happier. The car doesn't make you happier. Jim Carrey's got that beautiful teaching, like he wishes everyone could get as rich and as successful and as popular as him because then they'd work out that that's not actually what you want. Yeah. That doesn't, doesn't bring you joy and happiness. And the final myth or falsehood that the New Earth ninja would seek to articulate and uh, transcend or uh, alchemize in their own being is lack or unworthiness. Mm. You know we have a marketing system and religions and political parties that purposely and intelligently and very cleverly stimulate the feeling of fear and self-loathing or insufficiency or inadequacy in to then sell you their religion, to then sell you their car or their beauty cream or <laughs> whatever it is. And the truth is that each of us is inherently and infinitely worthy. Yeah. And enough just as we are.
1: Just as we are.
0: And it feels that the outer destruction of our, beautiful environment the nature that we are that is part of us that we are part of is a reflection of this this guilt or this self-loathing yeah you know it's uh, like a self-sabotaging act that I can certainly relate to that in my own journey to do something self-sabotaging as a reflection of some deep guilt or self-loathing and it seems like collectively we're we're doing that. So to be in love with ourselves, to yeah. be grateful for our essence, for our beauty, for our goodness, for our qualities.
1: Yeah. No, I did a different interview with an MIT physicist, Peter Fikowski, and one of the questions I asked him was about climate change, was what can we as householders do to help, you know, save the planet? And his physicist answer was be happy. And be, be appreciative of this moment and connect with human beings and share in the human existence from this place of happiness. And that was his version of from this place of love and truth and gratitude.
0: I love that. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, the opportunity to love Mother Earth, right, to, to hug the trees, to enjoy lying down to, as we spoke of earlier, to take a walk and Mm. not to get anywhere or, or to get exercise or to, but just to be in the awe and the marble and the enjoyment and the celebration of the the beauty of this planet that we find ourselves upon.
1: Yeah. And then, and with that, then when you've got that creativity, your, your power, Sorry, when you've got that gratitude, your power to create and manifest and call in the life that you're here to live opens up in a more flowful way. This is what I've experienced when I'm, Grat, grateful for the life that I'm living like when I'm grateful for my infertility when I'm grateful for the things that I actually didn't think I wanted in my life then the flow of true creative power opens up um, and you know for me and came a, a, a miraculous baby and I, I see that in part two you've got a chapter seven your creative power have you got a moment before we close to just maybe help the listeners land on how, their, how gratitude can lead to their creative power in living the life they came here to live.
0: Yeah, I think you, you touched on it really nicely, that in, in a radical gratitude, in a gratitude for everything, in a, in a surrender, there's actually something powerful and creative in that. I'd also point us to what the research very powerfully represents, which is that, that a practice of gratitude Uh, So the standard one would be a a morning and evening minute or two, perhaps, Uh, written is most effective to engage the whole brain, to write in the present tense, I am grateful for, I am feeling grateful for, and to note things through the day or things perhaps that you're looking to experience in the day upcoming will change your physiology, your neurology your psychology and indeed your, indeed your sociological functioning. People become more generous. They become more effective members of society through practicing gratitude. So it, it really is the gift that we give to ourselves that we're giving to others, to the, the, to the planet as a whole. So maybe I'd add that to that, that great pointer from... The MIT physicist, yeah, be happy, be be grateful, and again, not because you should, but because you can, because yeah. it feels great. It feels great to wallow in appreciation, to wallow in gratitude <laughs> for a while. I'm so much more constructive for the whole. <laughs> yes, yes.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness, well, oh, you know, I would love to just talk to you for another hour, but I'm gonna honor your time, and I know it's probably getting late there in the UK. Um, so Towards
0: the end of the day. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So darling, thank you so, so much. Is there a, um, I'm going to direct people to willpie.com and that's W I L L P Y E. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Um, and is there something you'd like to part on a sentence or two that you'd like to share about i just
0: i just like to thank you carly for this this conversation for our friendship for your being in the world and i'd like to thank all our listeners for giving their time and their presence and their attention so yeah Yeah. thank you is all i really have to say thank you
1: (laughs) so apt from gratitude to thankfulness it's all the same thing and thank (laughs) you darling man for ah, being your beautiful self
0: And thank you also to our viewers and our listeners. Thank you for listening and watching. Please visit loveandtruthparty.org to join our community, to download or order love letters for yourself, uh, to register for our newsletter, connect on social media, and even consider financial support at loveandtruthparty.org. thank you to all our supporters and contributors together we are creating kind conscious courageous human community do remember to subscribe like comment share and thank you again